children this morning can be dismissed for Children's Church. As I mentioned, our children today are being promoted to their next grade. So we have Children's Church for grades first through sixth. That's where they'll head to the Children's Chapel this morning. And our new seventh graders will be joining us here in the sanctuary this morning for the remainder of our time together. We're going to jump into the book of Acts in just a moment, but before that, I want to share an announcement with you. Last spring in May, we had our annual local church conference, our, our annual meeting at the end of our year where we give you our reports and our budget and approve those things. And one of the things that we did this last May at our annual local church conference was, was we showed you our elder candidate process that we had been working through. Our elders had been working through the process of what we would do if and when an opening on our elder board came available, how we would fill that position for our elders. And so we had been working on that for months, planning, preparing, being ready. We revealed that then to you at the local church conference and showed you that. And I need to tell you this morning that we, after that, we did not anticipate this, but after that, we jumped right into that process throughout this summer. Our current elder board right now sits at seven people. I am the staff elder on our elder board, and then we have six lay elders. Mark Hoven, David Palmer, Wes Palmer, Brian Sharp, Alan Stewart, and Joel Stewart. Pastor Ron was also on the elder board, but he stepped off when he transitioned into his new role as Pastor Emeritus last year. So, this morning, I come to you with a recommendation to jump into this new elder candidate process that we have been working through. I come today with a recommendation from our elder board uh, to announce a recommendation to affirm two new elders, and I'll explain how we've come to that process. Today, I'm just hoping to share the information with you. I want you to be able to, to consider, to pray, to think about these two candidates, and to pray that God might lead us in these next weeks. In two weeks from today, September 25th, on that Sunday, we will then uh, have an affirmation ballot for these two candidates that you will then will ask you and invite you to, to share on at that time. The first candidate this morning that I want to talk to you about is Pastor Stephen Duncan. He's been with us, he's been hired on staff here at the church since June, and he has been doing a, a, a fantastic job. He's been helping us to lead the church, he's been helping to pastor our church body, he's been pointing us to God's glory, and I am so grateful for his help. He has been filling the role of an elder, but he does not have the official position as an elder here at the church. The way that our church functions is that the elder board is responsible for interviewing, for calling, for reviewing, for retaining assistant pastors. That process does not require an entire church body affirmation. We went through that process. The elder board went through that process with Pastor Stephen this spring. We unanimously decided to, to call him and to bring him on as assistant pastor and since then, we've continued to see, and you have affirmed to us, the wisdom of that decision so far in these past few months. 
What we're asking today is that you would consider affirming Pastor Stephen as a staff elder for our church body. That position does require a majority affirmation from our church body. It doesn't change his role among us. He already is working as a pastor and leading us as a pastor, but it will give him position and standing on the Richland Church Elder Board. So, what we're asking you today is really to affirm what Pastor Stephen already is doing among us. Just as a way of bio, Pastor Stephen has been a part of our church for about the last 12 years, even during part of those times for about three years, being on full-time staff with us as a youth pastor. He's also volunteered to lead the youth group in a couple of other years in the midst of that time. He's faithfully served in a variety of ways. He's helped and led our youth group. He's served on both our trustee and our missions boards. And he has filled all matter of holes that we have in ministry around the church. He and his wife, Valerie, live in Ipswich, and they have four children, Lincoln, Sam, Lucy, and Daisy. I think you know Pastor Stephen, and we're hoping that in these next days, you might pray for him, pray about him leading our church as a paid staff elder and affirming him on Sunday, September 25th. Our second recommendation this morning that we, come, that we bring to you comes due to a lay elder that's currently on our elder board stepping off the elder board. Wes Palmer has served on our elder board for decades. Even before I came to the church, Wes Palmer was on our elder board and he has asked to step off as of the end of this church year, which ends in April of 2023. And so his resignation from our elder board has brought us into the process of looking for a new lay elder to fill that spot on the board. So we began the process of looking for a new elder candidate from among our current membership list. So this morning, I bring to you another unanimous recommendation from the elders as we have walked through this candidate process. We, we now are bringing a recommendation to you to consider affirming Mike Bowser as a lay elder here at Richland. Mike also has been a part of our church for about 12 or 13 years. He has served in a variety of ways. He's been a clubhouse teacher for the fourth graders. He's been on our worship team. He's served on our trustee board. He's a faithful servant. He's a thirsty student. He's a skilled and detailed craftsman and he's a godly example. And our elders are asking you to affirm what we already have seen in Mike's life. Mike and his wife, Rebecca, and their two children, Zachary and Emma, live in Aberdeen. Mike currently works as a lab technician in the Avera Health System, and we think that God is calling him to be an elder here at the Richland Church. So, what I'm asking as I've said already this morning, is for you just to think about it, to pray about it. We want you to have opportunity, if you have, have questions about either Pastor Stephen coming on and being affirmed as a staff elder, or Mike Bowser coming on and being affirmed as a lay elder, that you have opportunity to ask those questions. You have opportunity to visit with me or one of our current elders to ask about the process 
We also want you to be able to visit with the candidates and get to know them more and ask them questions as you're able as well. And so we're gonna give a couple of weeks here to walk through that process together and, and then on September 25th, come back and ask for an affirmation of those two candidates. We'll have an affirmation ballots on that Sunday and we'll require a majority of affirmations for those two men than to serve on our elder board. This week, I also intend to email this announcement out for those who are not here and not able to hear this announcement today. And in the midst of that, I'll also include this candidate process. So if you don't have it from our May meeting, it walks through the process. It also shares with you both the qualifications for elders that we have been walking through and looking as we've been going through this process and the duties of elders that we think come from scripture and that we're calling these men to. And so we hope to include those in an email, an announcement email that comes out later in this week. So please pray with me in these next days as we pray for those men, as we pray that God might lead us here in the church, pray for our current elders, that God might continue to give us wisdom in that. This morning, we are in Acts chapter 21. We have been walking through Acts. We are in the midst of, of Paul's third missionary journey. And last week, if you remember, we, we saw that Paul has turned. He's, he's headed to Jerusalem. He has his mind made up. He's headed to Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, wants to visit one more time with the leaders of the Ephesus church. But he doesn't want to go into Ephesus. He knows that if he goes into Ephesus, he, he'll have too many goodbyes to say, too many things, uh, to, to, too many farewells again, too many people wanting his attention and wanting to see him. And so he, he bypasses Ephesus but calls the leaders of the church, calls the elders of the Ephesian church to come to Miletus so that he might share with them some final thoughts, knowing that he probably will not get back to that area, not get back to that church ever again. And so this passage in chapter 20 that we looked at last week, it's the first time that we see in Acts where Paul really directs his comments, directs a, a speech per se, to believing Christians in the book of Acts. He's, he's made defenses to, to legal authorities. He has, he has tried to evangelize Jews. He's, he's made all kinds of different speeches and messages throughout the book of Acts. But this is the first time that he speaks specifically to Christians. And as he does, if, if you read it, as I mentioned last week, that it's very Pauline. It sounds very much like the letters to Timothy, like the, letters, the letter to Titus that we have in the New Testament. It's, it's a letter to the elders, encouraging them in their faith, helping them to grow, and giving them some last words. He, he really points to his example in the midst of it. He says, look at the way that I have served. Watch the way that I have ministered. These are the things that I want to be true in you as well. He says later in, in the New Testament in one of his letters, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the attitude that Paul has here in Acts chapter 20. He says, I, I've served you with humility. I've served you through tears. I've served you through trials. I've declared the whole entire gospel to you. These things I want you to know about me and I want them to be true about you as well. And then after he says that, he says, but be careful. 
He says, I want you to do these things that I've done, but be careful because there's gonna be wolves that come into the church and your eyes are going to be twisted. You're gonna lose focus. You're gonna lose sight of these things that I'm telling you about, so be careful. It'll be easy to fall away. And in fact, as we shared last week, the Ephesian church does fall away. Later, John in Revelation says to the Ephesian church, you have lost your first love. Paul was right as he shared that with the Ephesian leaders. But he says, be alert. And he says, especially, be generous in the way that you live. That's his final, that's his final exhortation to them. Be generous. Because when your eyes begin to get twisted, when we, begin, when we begin to take our eyes off the cross and we begin to focus on our idols, our generosity is where we begin to notice it first. Especially in our finances, we become selfish and protective. And he reminds us that we are to be generous because God has been generous to us. And the Spirit has been generous to us. And God has sent his Son who obtained the church through his own blood and has provided for us and has been generous to us. So Paul shares all of those things with those Ephesian leaders and then begins to travel. As I said, he has eyes that are set to get back to Jerusalem. And so that's where we pick up the story here in chapter 21. So we're going to read just a portion here of chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It's page 930 in your Bible, the Pew Bible this morning. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came to a straight course to Kos and then next to Rhodes and from there Petura. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there a ship was, unload, was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And, though the Spirit, they were, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. Kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus and greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And then on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet in his hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt, who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. 
Paul is ready. Paul has decided it's time to go back to Jerusalem. He originally, if you remember several weeks ago, we said that Paul had already made this decision. He wanted to go to Jerusalem and he wanted to get there for the Passover feast. That was his hope. He, he learned uh, in the midst of his travels that there was a group of Jewish people who wanted to kill him and so he was not able to get on the boat that would have gotten him back to Jerusalem in time for Passover. He had to, to wander back through uh, on the map there, he had to wander back through the north and catch another boat so that he might be able to get back in the time for Pentecost. But that's his plan. He has now decided he didn't make it for Passover, but he's going to get back for Pentecost for a couple of reasons, we believe. One of the reasons is he, he has this offering that has been collected among the, the, the churches of the Gentile churches in that area, and he wants to get that back, and he wants to get it distributed to the Jewish believers that have gathered there in Jerusalem for this festival. He also wants to be a part of that celebration. Paul is Jewish, after all, and wants to be a part of that celebration. He wants to be a part of the celebration of Pentecost. He wants to be a part of the celebration with other believers, remembering the work of the Spirit working in and through those early believers he wants to get back, but he also wants to get back to Jerusalem because during this time there's going to be a large crowd of Jews that are there in Jerusalem and he wants to have opportunity to evangelize. He wants to have opportunity to reach out to the Jews that do not see and know Jesus as the Messiah and he wants to lead as many of them as he can to find their hope in Christ. And so, where we pick up here in Acts chapter 21 is Paul trying to get back to Jerusalem for the Pentecost. He jumps on a, on a boat with Luke, a small boat probably. It tra traced along the coast for a little bit until he comes to Patura and there he's able to jump on a big boat, a bigger cruising ship which is going to set sail and it's going to go through the, the bigger parts of the ocean and get him back. And so they jump on their boat and they're headed back and they land, they land in Tyre. And while they're there for a few days, there's going to be a cargo exchange on the boat. Paul and Luke are now there. Probably the other disciples are there with them as well. They're gathered together. He immediately, as soon as the boat lands, immediately goes to find the other believers, as is his custom, so that he might be encouraged by them and he might also bring encouragement to them. And so he gathers with those believers and then... What we read here, what we see between the believers at Tyre as well as some of the disciples that are with Paul is a battle of wills here. Two different groups, and it happens a couple times here in Acts chapter 21. We see a battle of what really is God's will for Paul and for these men. What is God's will for Paul, that's the question that comes out of this passage here in Acts chapter 21. What's God's will? What's God's plan? What is it for Paul? We know what Paul already thinks. We've already been talking about it. We've seen it a couple of times. Back in, in, in chapter 19, a couple of pages back, you'll see then in verse 21, we read this. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. 
Paul's made up his mind. I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna bring this offering that we have. I'm gonna bring these Gentile believers that I have with me. I'm gonna take them to Jerusalem. We're going to bless the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem with this offering. They've been going through a drought. We'll talk about that in a little bit. They've been going through a drought, and we're going to bless them with this offering, and so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take that to Jerusalem, and then I'm gonna head to Rome. I wanna get to the center of the world and begin to share the gospel there. And so in chapter 19, he'd already decided, he had resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome. We read last week, as as he's visiting with the Ephesian leaders, he said last week in chapter 20, verses 22 to 24, he said, now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul sees, we're almost there, he says. I'm, I'm, I wanna finish the course. I wanna finish this race that God has laid out for me. And I believe, Paul is saying, that that's to head to Jerusalem and then to head on to Rome. I know it's not gonna be easy, he's saying. I know there's gonna be imprisonment. I know there's going to be afflictions. I know there's gonna be some hardships on the way, but I believe that's what God has called for me and he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. Just like Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem knowing that it would be the end of his life. And Paul has that same type of moment here. God's will for Paul, he firmly believes, is to go to Jerusalem, whatever that might mean. And so he shows up in Tyre, he has his disciples with him, he has Luke, his good friend Luke with him, When they get there, the disciples have some different advice for Paul. In fact, the way that Luke tells it here in chapter 21 is that through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They were telling him through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. And you can imagine, we don't have the whole, we don't have their whole argument here. That's all we have, that line. But you can imagine you can imagine what these disciples are saying to Paul. They're saying, Paul, do you remember? Do you remember all of these things that we've been going through? Do you remember as we got to each of those cities, there would be a group of Jewish people who would come behind us and they would stir up trouble and we would be chased out from city to city to city. We would be chased out. There was, there was a time even when you were stoned and left outside the city to, as dead. Do you remember all of those things that happened? Paul, that's what's going to happen, but it's going to be worse when you get back to Jerusalem. When you get back to the center of the Jewish people, it's going to be worse. And they point out all of those bad things, all of those negative things, all of those things that might happen. But then I think they probably also say this. They probably also say, Paul, you're too valuable. It's not just the suffering and the afflictions and the imprisonment and the possible death that you're gonna face if you go back to Jerusalem. It's that you're too important. You're too valuable. You've been wandering around. You've been planting these churches. You've been leading these people. You've you've been writing these letters that are so valuable. We're going to keep them together. They're gonna become what becomes the New Testament. You're too valuable to go and to be sent to prison. You're too valuable to be put to death. We need you. You're the best church planter that we have. We need you to stay. 
We need you to be safe. We need to protect you with whatever we can do. You don't want to suffer, and you're too valuable to go back. And Paul hears those things. Paul is probably moved by them. We don't see Paul's response in this instant. We don't know what Paul's response is to the people of Tyre, except we can assume from what he has said later and what he said previously that he said, I'm going to go. I'm going to continue on. My face is set to Jerusalem, and I'm going to go. And so they get on the boat. And they don't just get on the boat if you read the story there. They gather everyone to come to send them off. The wives, the children, everyone comes. You can imagine the emotional scene that's happening on the beach as they kneel to pray. As all of these believers who've been trying to convince him not to go, all these believers that I'm telling him, all these bad things that are about to happen to him, the emotional response that they have there on the beach as, as they send Paul and Luke off in the boat. But they go. They get on the boat, they head to Caesarea. They come to Caesarea, which is, has the evangelist Philip there. If you remember Philip from early on in our study in the book of Acts, Philip was the one who traveled south. He, he uh, was in Samaria. He also then, then ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch and then continued to travel as an evangelist and ended up here in Caesarea. He has four. He has four daughters, unmarried daughters, who have the gift of prophecy. We don't read much about them, we don't know much about them, but church history tells us that they were super important in the life of the church. They had a church history that they knew that they had, had gotten from their father, that they had seen through their ministry there in Caesarea that was passed on, and much of what we know about the early church comes because of these four unmarried daughters of Philip's. But they're gathered there in Caesarea, and again, Something happens which leads the disciples to question what Paul thinks God's will is for him and for his life. The prophet Agabus comes down from Judea. If you remember Agabus, earlier in chapter 11, Agabus had predicted, he was a, a prophet who had predicted that there would be a famine and a drought in the land of, of where Jerusalem is, in the land of the Jews right there, and there does become a famine and a drought. That's partly why they need this gift offering that Paul and the disciples are bringing from the Gentile churches is because they've, they've been in drought, they've suffered through that. Agabus's prophecy was correct. And Agabus shows up here at Philip's house and as he comes, he doesn't just bring a prophecy, but instead puts on this whole prophetic show. He comes to Paul and he takes his belt, not just the, the, the short leather belt that you get from J.C. Penney's, but probably a long robe belt that he would have had, that Paul would have had wrapped around his clothing. He takes this long belt, he ties it around his feet, he ties his hands up and he says, he says to Paul, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. If you go into Jerusalem, you're gonna be tied up, you're gonna be jailed, you're gonna be handed over. The Jews are gonna be done with you. And as he puts on that prophetic show in front of the disciples, in front of Luke, in front of Philip, in front of Philip's daughters, once again, everyone begins to give advice to Paul. Paul, you can't go. You're too important. There's gonna be too many things that happen. You can't go to Jerusalem. You can't go on. And yet, as Paul hears this, 
as this chorus is ringing in his ears. Again, Luke even has joined the chorus we read here in chapter 21. He's part of the we that's trying to convince Paul not to go. Paul says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Paul says, I hear what you're saying and I value your opinion. I treasure your friendship. What you're saying to me is having impact. It's having effect on me, Paul says. Your weeping is breaking my heart. And then he says, but I'm ready. I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready to finish the course. I'm ready to finish the race. I'm ready to be done with this that God has called me to be. If it's for his glory, I'm finished. I'm ready to die if that's what happens. And his friends respond, because he can't be persuaded, Luke writes. So we ceased, he says, and said, let the will of the Lord be done. You can hear him saying that, right? Let the will of the Lord be done. They probably say it in a little bit of frustration. Let the will of the Lord be done. And a little bit in anticipation that maybe the will of the Lord will protect you, Paul. So if you're going to go, May, may God lead you and guide you and protect you as you go. There's a battle between Paul and his friends. What is God's will for Paul? And to be honest, we don't really know for sure in the midst of this. We can, can assume as we walk through that Paul was following in the will of God, but, but I have to tell you, there's commentators on this passage of Scripture that are saying that Paul is wrong in what he thinks God's will for him is. So we don't know for sure. There's a battle going on. What really is God's will? What principles can we gain from this? That's really my question as I come to the end of this message, what can we gain from this? What can we learn? What principles can we see in this story that will help us as we try to determine what God's will is for us? I think there's three things that we see here at the end. The first is that God's will is not always discerned easily. I think we know that, but it's good for us to be reminded as we look at this passage. God's will is not always discerned easily. There are some things which are easy to know as God's will. There are some things that are clear in Scripture. It says, this is God's will for you. There's one on the Scripture, on the, on the screen earlier this morning as you came into the sanctuary. To rejoice. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's other places in Scripture that tells us that we are to, to flee from immorality, that we are to chase after God. That is his will for us. It's clear, it's crystal clear in Scripture. We know that it is. But there are other places where it's not discerned so easily, where we can't figure it out as quickly, that we have to try to use a combination of things to understand what God's will is for us. 
We want to use the word first and foremost, above all things. If, if, there, if there's one thing that we want to use to discern God's will, we use the word. Like that's one. The other ones drop all the way down to 101. God's word, that's number one. That's the primary. That's where we go. What is God's word telling us? But after the word, there's some other things. The Holy Spirit lives inside believers, and he begins to to speak to us and urge us and prompt us. Our conscience begins to work in us, and, and that's another way that we can begin to sense and know God's will for us. I think he uses a council of godly believers, the body of believers, the church, those around you. I think he uses their counsel to lead us and guide us in knowing God's word. I think he also, I think God also uses opportunity for us to sense and know his word. He opens up doors that, that we're to follow through. He gives us opportunity. He wants us to act. And when an opportunity is there, we can see and know God's word. Clarity comes through a variety of ways in the midst of that. But it's not always discerned easily. It wasn't here for at least for Paul's disciples. Paul, maybe it was discerned for him in a more clear and easy way, but it was not as clear for his friends and disciples. And I think that brings us to number two principle. That our love, our love for safety, for comfort, for peace, for convenience, oftentimes blurs our understanding and our vision of what God's will is for us. I think we see that here in this passage. Paul's friends, Paul's disciples, their love for safety, comfort, peace, convenience, all of those things is blurring their vision. It's easy for us when we begin to try to to understand what is God's will for us, what is the path that we're to take, what is the plan that God has for us to go. It's easy for us to have our eyes begin to settle on the horizontal ramifications of what that is going to be like rather than on the vertical call that we're receiving from God. And our eyes get blurred. In fact, in fact, as you look at this passage, Paul's friend's eyes are blurred by that idea. In fact, the way I understand this passage is that these disciples that are trying to convince Paul and Tyre and then, and then Agabus when he comes with his prophecy, they're, they're not prohibiting these, these advice and this prophecy, they're not prohibiting Paul from going into Jerusalem. They're just predicting what is going to happen, which Paul already knows. Paul's already said, imprisonment and afflictions await me. He already knows that. That's already been given to him. He, he sees that that's going to be the, the path that he has to take as he follows God's will. And yet the, the believers in Tyre and Agabus, they predict that Paul is going to suffer these hardships, that it's gonna be too hard for him, that that's not, that can't be what God calls us to is what they're saying. And Paul says, no, that's exactly what God is calling me to. 
He's calling me to afflictions. He's calling me to hardships. He's calling me to imprisonment. He might even be calling me to death in Jerusalem. And yet that is exactly what God has called me to. We tend to think that those predictions, even as we read it here in Acts 21, we think those predictions are prohibitions for Paul because our eyes are blurred by our love of safety and convenience, by comfort. Especially in our Western world, we're blinded by what we want it to be instead of what it might be. The third principle that we see that we can follow from Paul's example is that when, Paul, when God's will has been clearly understood, don't settle for anything else. When God's will has clearly been seen, don't settle for anything else. That's Paul. That's his example. When he says, follow me as I follow Christ, that's the example that Paul's giving. When I see and know and understand God's will for my life, I'm not going to settle for anything else. I'm going to go. I'm going to be imprisoned, yeah. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to have hardships, yeah. I might be put to death, yeah. But I can't do anything else. I have to go. Follow me as I follow Christ. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus sets his mind to head to Jerusalem knowing that it's going to be the end. He sets his mind and gets to Jerusalem and and even, even the night before he's arrested, he prays and he says to God, I know where we're at in this plan. I understand what's happening. And if there's any way for this not to happen, if there's any way for you to take this cup from me, Jesus prays, do it. Take it. Let's find another way. If there's any other way that we can do it, let's do it. Because I don't, I don't want to go through all these next things. But, he says, if, if, that is your will, if that is your plan, Jesus says, let's do it all to the glory of the Father. And so when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, he is doing exactly that. When God's will is clearly understood, don't settle for anything else. Next week, we will continue to jump in to the rest of the story. Paul heads to Jerusalem. The predictions that all of his friends and Agabus have given to him, those predictions begin to come true. And yet, Paul knows, I am in God's will. And he follows it exactly as God has laid out. The worship team is gonna come and lead us this morning. We're going to sing a song that we sang earlier, talking about God's will, God's moving of us, even when it doesn't seem easy, even when it doesn't feel great, God moves and helps us. And so we're going to sing that together. Please stand with me as the worship team comes. God moves in a mysterious way 
His wonders to perform He plants His footsteps in the sea And rides upon the storm Deep in His dark and hidden eyes With never failing skill He fashions all His bright designs And works His sovereign will So saints new courage take the clouds that you now dread are big with mercy and will break and blessings on your head judge not the Lord by feeble sense but trust Him for His grace Behind a frowning providence He hides a smiling face So God we are great and comforts few. We hope in mercies ever new. We trust in you. God's purposes will ripen fast Unfolding every hour The bug may have a bitter taste But sweet will be the flower Blind unbelief is sure to Scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. So God, we trust.
fears are great and comforts few. We hope in mercies ever new. When tears are great and comforts few, we hope in mercies ever new. We trust in you. benediction comes from Paul. He says in 1 Thessalonians, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Thank you for coming this morning. Mm -hmm.